This Torah class is brought to you by TorahAnytime.com. So, welcome to Practical Spirituality here in Asia Torah, in the old city of Jerusalem, overlooking the Western Wall. Why do bad things happen to good people? There was once a great Rebbe who, whenever there was an be- evil decree upon a per- particular town, his town, he would always uh, go upstairs in his meditations and nullify the decree. And so he got really nervous when he got older because he was no longer going to be alive to do the job. And there was some pretty evil, uh, you know, uh, leaders, rulers at the time who would make decrees against the Jews of this area. So the, uh, on his deathbed, they, the, you know, some of the elders came to him and said, what are we going to do without you when there will be evil decrees? And, the, uh, and he said the following famous line is, is a... Holy man is greater in his death than in his life. A holy man is greater in his death than in his life. And so what is that what is that supposed to mean? What it means is is that he can get more accomplished. Right here's a perfect spot. Can you get your feet off that chair, please? Thank you very much. You're definitely not thirty seven. The a holy man can decree more upstairs in his death than he could take care of while alive in this world. So that was assuring, and or reassuring. And they, uh, they went on, and he passed away. And, and then there was a decree against the Jews soon after. And guess what? The decree was fulfilled. And they were all wondering, like, well, what's up with that? What happened, to the, the, what happened to the tzaddik? What happened to the holy man to, you know, taking care of us from the other side? And so another decree came. It was also fulfilled. A third decree came, decree came. Fulfilled. The Jews are now starting to seriously suffer. And they don't understand. So what did they do? They went to the next holiest man in the community who wasn't on the level of being able to nullify decrees. They went to the next holiest man and they said to him, can you go up in a less, you know, a lesser capacity, which is to do what's called a dream quest. And a dream quest is where you do certain trips to the mikvah and certain names of God and everything, and then you write a little note of what it is you want to know and uh, from whom you would like to speak to it to get the information. And then you put the little note under your pillow, and you finish your names of God meditation, and then you lay down to sleep. When you're asleep, you get to go on a little journey to the, to the um, next world, and do your interview with whoever it is you'd like to interview on the other side. That's called a dream quest. And so he agreed to do a dream quest. He took his mikvahs and he, and he did the names of God and he went to sleep and he had one question of the holy man of that area and he said, what is the deal with the decrees? Why are they not getting nullified? And so what did he say? The holy man on the other side said, that when I lived in this world, I saw them as evil. And now that I'm in the world of truth, I see that they are good. Now that's an interesting story, considering we're all in this world, hoping nothing evil happens to the Jews. I mean, we always seem to wind up you know, right in the wrong spot at the wrong times in history. You know, like we can't seem to do anything right. And once again, uh, fat, you know, I mean, it's just fascinating to watch it happen. 
but the observant Jewry has become enemy number one all over again by Western Sith, which owes its its very, you know, f fabric of reality to us. But for some reason, they've turned on us again. And in this time, it's it's in the in you know extreme liberalism, where they'd like to say everyone's the same, while the Jewish people, at least the ones who keep Torah, are still holding that there's there's binary reality. It was a the tree was eat. They ate the fruit of good and evil. That means there's good and there's evil. And we're sorry. There's boy and girl. You know, there's not not everyone's the same. Not everything's the same. And there's wrong and right. And there's a there's a moral code. And and there's, you know, and so you have to understand that that pits us as the enemy. Well, the reason why everyone's lulled to sleep and thinks that's just no big deal, and they just enjoy their lives in Brooklyn or Muncie or Lakewood or Flatbush or or in uh, L.A. or Vegas or wherever they are, the reason they're all lulled to sleep by this whole thing is that liberals are generally like peace-loving flower children type people. So they're like, okay, look at the guys are girls and the girls are guys, and you know, but peace now and everyone's peacing out, and so what do we have to worry about? And the answer is, is that, that more people than were killed by the Holocaust in the last hundred years were killed by by liberals in the communistic, communist era, era under Stalin. And, and they, uh, when, they, when, they, uh, when, you, when things start turning into law and, and the power structure shifts in their favor, the, uh, things get much more bloody than any conservatives would ever make it. Because these people love idealism. And idealism is sometimes able to trump traditionalism and, and traditionalists are going to be more conservative in their approach to things they don't like whereas idealists can get caught up easily in feverish behavior and uh, very dangerous for us and def definitely not not a good time to be asleep right now you want to be very awake right now so that's a difficult story this story about about how you know, evil is good because it certainly takes away our question because the question of the day is why do bad things happen to good people? And the answer is they're not bad. And I can prove that to you right now. I'll prove it to you right now. Okay, raise your hand if you ever went through a difficult time, like things were not going the way they want, you wanted them to. Raise your hand. Okay, keep your hands up. Come on, come on, keep your hands up. If... Not only you were going through a bad time, but you were doing everything you could to get out of that bad time. Why are you two the only people not with their hands up? Everything's gone perfect for you two? So, so participate, please. Our hands are still up. Okay? The, uh, that, you do, that you try to do a lot of things to get out of that. You'd do anything to get out of that. Okay? Keep your hands up. If, if uh, obviously, you, know, you either succeed or fail at getting out of that situation, but it, you know, eventually time went on, and you, that's over now, but... Uh, raise your hand if, you've, if you grew as a human being to become who you are sitting in this room right now as a result of what you went through. Keep your hands up. Okay? Keep your hands up. If you would not trade what happened, if you also had to trade who you became. Okay. There's your answer. No, there's always one or two. 
there's always one or two people who would trade it. And those one or two people who would trade it, like they trade who they develop themselves into being if they didn't have to go through what they went through. Even that comes with its own caveat because one is how much time's gone by. It could be they don't have the perspective yet. You know, how much time's gone by since that thing you'd rather not have had happen, even if it meant giving up who you became? So that's not very much time, number one. Okay? Um, year and a half's nothing in perspective of, of going through a difficult thing. Raise your hand if it took more than a year and a half to figure it out. Yeah, everybody. Okay? So a year and a half's a very short time. And, uh, and then uh, the other thing is... Um, The other thing is that is that we may have not grown <laughs> from it. We, we, we may just be injured, and we're walking around injured. And, and if we are walking around injured, then we've got other questions we have to ask ourselves. Is how, does in, how does walking around injured serve me? What kind of, what do I get out? You always have to ask as a human being, what am I getting out of this? And, and sometimes injured is profitable. You know, just go to the, uh, you know, the handicapped services. You know, go to handicapped services. You'll find injury profitable. Why? Because there's you're standing in line with all these people. Everyone's coming with the, you know, the hospital papers to prove the liability that they're in. You know, so they can get the government funds, and, which are profitable. But of course, you'd ask any of those people in the line, would they rather have the funds or would they rather have their their health? Which one? I'd rather have their health, but but you will see that there's certain people in that line who have their health, but they're really just trying to get some funds. And so they're meaning they're literally they're trying to get a card that says handicapped on it. When you know, and they may succeed. They may have the papers that will help them succeed. It could be the Bituach Lumi of Israel catches smells the skunk and says. Okay, let me give you a few hoops to jump through before you'll get that card. Because, you know, not that easy. And they may even jump through those hoops. Call me handicapped, please. But we all have to know that our, that our stories serve us, meaning our, our handicap serves us, our injury serves us. And, and it's also very important to note that every single one of us has played that game because there's something called teenagers. And you were once one. And part of being a teenager is, is playing the poor me card. Playing the poor me card, it's a pretty good card when you're a teenager. Now, it could be a good card when you're older than a teenager, but the problem is, is your mind starts maturing and you start to realize, this just ain't worth it. You know, like, why, why would I play poor me when, I, when I'm really someone special and could have an amazing life? Like... Poor me ain't worth it. But you meet people who poor me's worth it all the way through all the years. You know, there are poor me people that you probably, when you were a kid, growing up in your community, especially if you were raised in a more black hat community, there were the poor me people. And uh, have you noticed that it's the same people now? Now that you're an adult, you still, they look older now. But there they are, the same exact people. So they've been doing poor me for years now. And by the way, the only way they can get the help they need is by telling their poor me story. And so you might want to be careful the stories you tell. Because if you do want to move on in life, so 
it's worth checking out the stories you're telling. Because those stories may serve you in the moment, but they're not serving you in the long run. And, and uh, you, you want to make sure the stories you're telling are exciting and amazing and, uh, you know, kind of inviting opportunity and, and greatness, you know, and great people into your life. Poor me stories generally draw in the, the, the people have the helper story. You know, that, and it becomes a perfect relationship between the downtrodden and the and the uh, savior complex. So you're bound to find a savior complex person, but the savior complex person will never let go. It's kind of like bad parents. <laughs> never let go. They just keep trying to parent you, and, uh, and this is one of the one of the disasters of a human being's life is is parents who just will not let you go get a boo-boo. And the the famous Jordan Peterson, which I always suggest people watch as much of him as you possibly can. Anyone whose life isn't like exactly the way they want it should watch, I don't know, maybe 100 hours of Jordan Peterson before you complain to anybody or go see a rabbi about it. Just go on YouTube or podcasts and watch about 100 hours of Jordan Peterson and see if you're still complaining afterwards. But in his book called The Twelve Rules for Life, I think chapter 11 is, don't bother kids while they're skateboarding. (laughs) I think I said it right. That's the gist of it, though. Don't bother kids while they're skateboarding. And it's about laying off and let the kid get hurt. Don't bubble wrap him for a skateboard ride down down your street. You know, if you you don't learn to get your own boobas, you're going to be scared of everything in the future and that's a perfect way to handicap your children is to overparent them and, and you have to do it the whole way through meaning obviously an infant full parenting three year old 80-90% you know make sure you, know, you at least know where they are and who they're in the company of you know because they can't protect themselves in those situations but in a five year old less and on and on until it's just really nothing but living by example, letting them know you're there in case of emergency. Okay, so why do bad things happen to good people? So the way we've basically dealt with this is that they aren't bad things. They aren't bad things. They are your teachers. The things that happen to you are teaching you. And sometimes... You're being taught, here's where I differ from Jordan Peterson, amongst many things that I differ from him, but one of them is that he believes in the fact that people can just get randomly slammed. I mean, we've all been slammed. But as Jews, it's not randomly. We don't believe God makes accidents. We don't believe there are any mistakes. We believe that if you got slammed, it was orchestrated. We believe that if a pool man on the roof 10 stories high is you know, putting in his thing and, you know, sweeping the bottom of the pool, and then the other side of the pole hits a planter, and the planter shoots down 10 stories and lands on some poor sap. That absolutely 100% orchestrated. It's not an accident. We don't believe in accidents. We don't believe things happen that are that are beyond the scope of God's control 
and God running the show and orchestrating things really quite exactly. And for some reason, that person had to be killed instantly. I guess for the mourners, maybe. I mean, I mean that guy, if you think about it, got an easy way out. You know, he ain't got no bills to pay now. So, you know, all of us are playing a waiting game. We all know we're going to die, and it's pretty scary to think about it. You know, so that guy kind of got the quick exit. And people were obviously supposed to mourn and deal with the loss of it. I heard a nice thing today about mourning, by the way. I just want to say something parenthetically. Is um, <laughs> we all have such complaints about our loved ones. Because we know them better than anyone, so we see their faults like with a bigger magnifying glass. And we often are very frustrated by them. It may even be the subject of therapy for an hour just discussing some parent or sibling or aunt or uncle or grandparent or, or you know, whatever. They, we, have issue, we have issues and complaints about these people. Um, but when they pass on, whether it be suddenly or whether it be at the of old age, we go into great grief, which is different than good grief. We go into great grief and... And which is really interesting because you would think you'd be like, wow, it's over. You know, after everything I've been through with that person. Because, you know, people are liabilities and so are you. And, and, you know, you're not easy to be with. And, and so, nor was that person who's now gone. But for some reason, you can't stop crying. And, you know, you're just like reduced to you know, serious grief. So what can we learn from that now? What can we learn from that now is that love's complicated. <laughs> love's really complicated because, well, let's take you single people in the room, for example. Um, I think all of you would like to marry someone you love, right? Like you'd like to love that person. Wouldn't that be great? Yeah, except... you're probably also thinking that that everything's pretty good on paper with the person you'd marry. You know, you'd ask them to marry because everything's looking pretty good on paper. Like, this person isn't going to be on, you know, they're not going to be on your nerves. They're, that's why I'm marrying them is because, like, everything looks pretty good. This isn't someone I'm going to go to therapy and discuss. <laughs> right. Uh, but then if we think about mourning a loved one who we had a lot of gripes about and we mourn so intensely over those people that love, love has nothing to do with your Santa Claus wish list for a spouse. Meaning you got to get off Santa's lap when it comes to your understanding of love. There's something much deeper going on when it comes to Loving somebody. It's super complex stuff. Love. And it doesn't have to do with, with you know, everything being fine between you. I know people who had real big issues with, with pretty bad parents. And then the parents passed and they were just, went down a whirlpool of grief 
deep, deep mourning. It just didn't make a lot, didn't make a lot of sense. And it just shows you that, that love's quite complicated. Okay, parentheses over. Close parentheses, Siri. Did I just say Siri? It's okay. Yeah. We have to be very careful at the Shabbos table to, not to say Alexa. You know, it'd be a good dirty trick for someone you don't like is change their Alexa account to be Shabbos. You know, on Shabbos. So every time they say good Shabbos, Alexa's like, can I help you? <laughs> That'd be a bad trick. Okay, so so basically the bottom line is that is that bad is not bad. But wait a second. What kind of crazy thing to say is that? Anyone start their day hoping everything goes bad? <laughs> so this is like we have to take it a step further here because nobody starts their day saying, oh, gee, I, I really want to grow through a bad day. <laughs> right? Nobody wants for things to go bad. Devin um, Miller asked for a test. That's a little different. But it may be similar. Maybe we can learn something from that. Well, the one thing we learn from that is don't ask for a test. Because then God will send you something you can't pass. But we don't want a bad day, but we learn from our bad days. How are we supposed to take care? How are we supposed to deal with that? Meaning, who you become is from the tough stuff you went through, yet you'll pray every day not to go through anything tough. You pray Rosh, pray Rosh Hashanah for uh, Shana Tova, not a Shana Ra. Right? You're praying for a good year, but a good year is exactly how you most likely wouldn't grow. And see it? Yeah. Um, well, I, I don't think God, from my experience, He needs to send you um, challenging experiences when you take the lessons that He sent you. So it's only to get you to a place of openness of, of His, of His, you know, interaction with everything. I like the way Ben Zion talks. That Ben Zion's saying that what if you just lived in a place of openness where you're receiving all your growth proactively and you're experiencing God and your own personal development proactively as opposed to the reactions of painful circumstances. Okay, so here we go. Get your hands ready again. Put a little oil under your elbow. Let's be honest here. Raise your hand if you're the... We're, I'll tell you the two options and then I'll have you raise your hand. Proactive growers versus reactive growers. Okay, and you got to be honest. Okay, should I define them? You want a definition? Proactive growers, first of all, are already graduates of the Possible Youth Seminar. That's my seminar. Okay, but they don't have to be graduates of my seminar. You can be graduates of any seminar. But you put yourself in the line of fire of someone playing God for a week who's going to put you through living hell so that you grow. Yeah, they're going to they're gonna make you, they're going to hold a mirror up like that to your face and you're just going to be so darn uncomfortable that you're going to pop like a piece of popcorn yeah and you're going to just be fluffy and light for quite some time afterwards but that's proactive growers show pay good money and spend good time and put themselves in the line of fire of people who can take them to the next level they don't need to go through negative things they create the situations of growth. 
in their lives. I'm not saying they do this daily, but at least a couple times a year they show up at something that's going to like really push their buttons and get them growing. You know, put themselves in the line of fire of a personal growth trainer, you know, one way or another. Or hiring a life coach is proactive. Like, not the nice life coaches. I'm talking about the ones that are going to be ruthless. And they're not, they're not going to honor you. They're going to, they're going to be, they're, they will not be afraid to say what needs to get said to you. Okay, here we go. Uh, the reactive, oh, I'll define the react. Reactive means you've got to go through life's punches and then you grow. Okay, those are the two options. Raise your hand if you're the proactive grower. Okay. Realize if your hand's up, you've got to tell me what program you went to in the last year. Okay, so if your hand, if you didn't go to something the last year, then your hand's What's back down. Again? I'm not repeating that. <laughs> Don't worry about it. And reactive growers, reactive growers who grow from going through, yeah, got to go through stuff. What's proactive? Like, can you say one more time? You put yourself through stuff purposely, and in the line of fire of people who know how to take you through those things. Oh, good for you. Okay, what'd you do the last year? Made um, Aliyah. <laughs> How can you not clap for the funniest thing that's been said all day? I'm clapping. That's amazing. I'm still the only one clapping. He made Aliyah. He moved to Israel. How you doing so far? Um, it's very murky. Like, um, you growing a lot? Positive and minor and negative. Are you growing a lot? Okay, um, that was great. That was great. And yeah, people go through a lot when they make Aliyah. There is one way, by the way. I'll give you all a hint in case any of you ever want to make Aliyah. I'll give you a hint how to make it much easier on yourself. So the way you make it much easier on yourself is you learn the lesson, which I seem to repeat several times a week. You learn the lesson from Joshua and Kalev from the, uh, from the Torah, in the, in the portion of the Torah that talks about the spies that came to Israel to do a reconnaissance mission. In, um, in, this is in the Parsha called Shalach. And, um, and what happens is the two, Kalev and Yehoshua, they teach you the lesson of how to make Aliyah. And the way you make Aliyah is by having a steadfast commitment to move to Israel no matter what. Nothing's turning you around. You're focused 100% on what. And you're going to complete turn a completely blind eye to how. Yeah, well, it's called, in Hebrew, it's called betachon, that the land of Israel is the land of trust. That's why we don't have, for example, uh, like we in the in ancient times, Egypt had a Nile that overflowed every year, no matter what. You know, water comes down from Kilimanjaro, wherever it comes down from, and the Nile just goes up, and all and everyone drinks and everyone eats every year, no matter what. Rain, sun, doesn't matter. Israel is the land where we survive solely off our rain, and you have to be praying at all times. You have to live with total trust. Shabbat, total trust. Today, you don't need total trust. And today, you need social trust. <laughs> Meaning, uh, will your friends still talk to you if you start keeping Shabbat? 
You know, it's a different kind of trust. But, um, but historically, the whole point of Shabbat was trust. Resting the land every seventh year, total trust. What are you going to eat? What's, what are we supposed to eat? So it's total trust. And moving to Israel is total trust. So you never, you're allowed to be irresponsible when you move to Israel. And if you come with total trust, and you only focus on what, and you never focus on how, then you will have a successful aliyah beyond belief. But if you ever look at how, which is what the ten spies who came to Israel saw, they saw the how and they saw, well, that's not going to be so easy, is it? It's going to be impossible. And so they freaked out and panicked. And then when they brought back the, the, the news to the desert, to the Jews in, in the 40 years of the desert, when they brought back the news to the Jews, they panicked. The Jews panicked. You know who didn't panic? What's your name? Leah. Leah. You know who didn't panic? The Jewish women. The Jewish women didn't panic. They were like, they were with Kalev and Yeshua. Like, Kalev and Yeshua. Did you notice how Kalev and Yeshua's response was? Do you remember what their response was? Meaning the spies give a long list of like, every reason why we cannot conquer this land. You know what Kalev and Yeshua's answer was? No? Close. Eretz Tova Ma'od He. It's a wonderful place. Now you can imagine Moses, like he's got these ten spies giving like they they got like they've got like a, a forty page document on what's wrong with you know us conquering the land, like why it's not gonna go. And then they're like, and what do you two have to say for yourselves? And they're just like they open up their manila folder and they're like, Awesome place. You ever thought about that? Like, it just doesn't make any sense. You know, and then and later, later they, they pipe in again and they give over the Obama like, yes, we can. You know, they go for the Obama campaign. Yes, we can. Like, no other detail of how we're going to get this done. But they did give this, uh, like, we, we can do this. You know, and just no details. So you imagine Moses looking at them going like, you don't want to address some of the issues here? And, but Moses, of course, doesn't say that to him because Moses himself didn't want to send the spies because Moses is on the side of Joshua and Kalev because when you move to Israel, you pay no attention to how. All you stay focused on is what. And I'll tell you another secret to life. That doesn't just go to moving to Israel. That goes to everything in life. And if you're committed to what, how works out every time. If you're committed to what, how works out every time. All you howniks sitting in your chairs right now, I suggest you convert immediately to whatniks. Yeah, you got to convert to whatniks. It's scary. It's scary. And thank God we're living inside a spiritual world because this is all a digital simulation coming from God. God's actually beaming us into existence. You're in a giant hologram that God is orchestrating at all times. And so God tells us a secret. Focus only on what? I'll deal with how. I'm, I'm running the whole system. God's the one pulling all the strings on the other side of the system. So he can handle, one second, he can handle all the hows. Our job's just what? Laser beam focus on what? And if you convert now, you will thank me later.
And you also send me WhatsApps with funniest stories ever of how things worked out. Because you were, you became a whatnik. You stopped being a howlnik. And you, you'll just send funny stories because that's what I get all day. Is I get these amazing feedback stories of what happened when they went for the went to started becoming whatniks, and they just started focusing on what. And I'll tell you something else about being a whatnik, which is really funny, especially for some of you young people who ain't got no dough. Is that is that never let money get in the way of what you want to do. Never let money get in the way of what you want to do. Because some of you are thinking, okay, I'll be a whatnik, but I still need money. I mean, I need money for the how. If you find yourself in a situation where you still need money for how, it's because you still have not laser-beamed yourself on the what. Which is okay, you know, get laser-beamed more. Get more focused on what. There's obviously something coming up for you that's messing up the laser beam. Not every laser beam is perfect, you know, it's like... It's like it's mostly lasered, but it's not all the way lasered. And what's the proof is that you're not, you can't get yourself to pull the trigger on the what because you're scared about the how financially. That's not Robert. You need money. Yeah, and the way you, and I just gave you the biggest secret to having lots of money. You know what it is? No, I just gave you the biggest secret. Maybe you weren't paying attention. Yeah. It doesn't make any sense. How do you look at the what if you can't do it? Let's say if you're sending someone to Israel. You come to Israel, you have no place to live, you have no job, you're going to die homeless. Uh, that's Wrong. Anyway, um, listen, young lady, you just worry about what and the money will come. If you're, if you're finding the money's not coming, the issue is only that you're not focused enough on what? You got, you got scared and you unfocused on what? No, you're, you think you're focused on what, but if you would get deeper down inside of yourself, you'd realize that your what is not laser-beamed properly. You just got to speak to someone who knows what they're doing, and they will help you dissect the situation such that you'll see why the hows aren't coming around for you. There are people who the how isn't coming. And that's because their what isn't secure yet. They don't have their what solid. When you got your what solid, how happens. <coughs> now there are rare cases, I have to say, there are rare cases where God stops up the how pipe. There are rare cases where you got the what totally wired. And you got it totally laser beamed. And everything's perfect. And the how should be flowing. Except God loves you too much to mess you up with this thing you wanted. Here, let's vote again. Raise your hand if you ever wanted something badly that was wrong. <laughs> if your hand's not up, you're lying, okay? <laughs> I mean, it could be some of you are like that goody goody, you know. Okay, keep your hands up. Keep your hands up if you achieved it. Keep your hands up if you could have achieved it without God helping you achieve it. Keep your hands up if you, if God didn't set up all, the, if God set up all the, completely orchestrated your desire to do something wrong, also set up all the circumstances to do something wrong, and helped you succeed the whole way. Okay? You all should have your hand up right now. Or you just chose the wrong thing that was wrong. 
because you probably did wanted other things that were wrong and you got those. Now, I'm not going to go into the whole theology about this, but one thing's for sure is, is God's, God's a big boy. And you can't do something wrong and God's like, oh, I can't believe it. I just can't believe he did that. And the reason why this is shocking to find out that God enables you to do stupid things. I know it sounds shocking theologically, but you got a third grade, you know, you got a third grade theology. You know, you, you never grew up when it came to God. You know what you have? You have a religious belief theology. Your belief in God is religious. Judaism is not a religion. God's playing hardball all the time. God's a very intense being. Oh, and his consciousness lives through ours. Now, I don't have time to develop this anymore because I just realized what time it was. I completely lost track. So I apologize. Um, You're about to have a musical experience starting right now. You've just experienced another Torah class brought to you by TorahAnytime.com.